Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 3 this morning as we continue with our Summer in the Psalms series. So Psalm 46, verses 1 to 3. To the choir master of the songs of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. In my whole life, I don't think I've ever witnessed so much widespread fear than I have this year. Fear of the COVID-19 virus, fear of the COVID-19 vaccine, fear of lifting provincial health restrictions, fear of imposing provincial health restrictions, fear of a totalitarian political right, fear of a totalitarian political left, fear of racist violent police, fear of racist violent criminals, fear of world-altering climate change, fear of world-altering climate extremism, fear of record unemployment, fear of record government spending. And then add to all of that those timely fears that have been in the headlines this 2021. I've seen the timeless fears that have always made people anxious and afraid. Fear of an unknown future. Fear of failure. Fear of loneliness. Fear of unemployment. Fear of disasters. Fear of sickness. Fear of death. Fear of crime, violence, fear of war, fear for our safety, fear for our children and their future, and fear for so much more. Now, some of these fears are understandable, especially now. Our, our world is rapidly changing, and we're living in uncertain times when it's difficult to find accurate, unbiased information about what's going on, where decisions are being made for us, more than ever before, and ordinary life has just been in a lot of ways turned upside down. You know, I keep hearing about a, a new normal. Let's be honest, that's frightening, especially when we liked the old normal because it was predictable. It made us feel secure, stable. So what do we do? What do we do in light of all these timely and timeless fears that can so easily surface in our lives? Do we resign to live with fear through this life as many things change and many things are uncertain? Well, in this morning's text, like so many others, we're given an alternative response. In fact, as we saw at the beginning in the introduction of this psalm, we're actually given a different song to sing as the people of God. Even when our whole world feels like it's falling apart, we will not fear. Verse 2, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. What is the most frightening thing you can imagine 
How about this? The whole earth shaking and then giving way so that cities crumble into gaping craters and and mountains topple over and they slip into the ocean's depths, which then violently roar and foam with great hurricanes and tsunamis that the world has never seen, leaving the planet utterly desolate and destroyed, nothing as it was, everything radically changed. Well, that's the, the terrifying cataclysmic picture that the psalmist paints here in our text. And he does it in order to make his point that even in the worst possible scenario we can imagine, even if our whole world literally falls apart like that or just figuratively feels like it's falling apart, we who believe in and belong to God need not be afraid. Rather, we can say, we can sing with the psalmist, we will not fear. Why? Because of what he said in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Yes, we'll care about current events and and what's going on and we'll be careful and have proper concern about disease and, and danger and death, but we won't be consumed by our circumstances. We won't let unsettling circumstances and situations control our lives. In other words, we'll we'll face reality and we'll faithfully respond, but we will not fear. First, because God is our shelter or refuge, as it's put here in the ESV in most translations, which was a term that would refer to a, a defense of danger, like a, like a fortress, as we'll see in verse 7 to 11 here, or also as a shelter from a storm, like a house, a cave, or, or even an overhanging rock. And so just as these safe structures would protect people from enemies or from storms, so God protects his people in trouble. He is our refuge. It's a common Old Testament image, especially in the Psalms, like Psalm 91. Why don't you go there with me? Psalm 91. I'm going to read the whole Psalm because it really helps us to understand what exactly the psalmist means here when he simply says, God is our refuge. Here's what that looks like. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, 
lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show my salvation. Right? There's a a great example of what it meant for the psalmist there to have God as his refuge. Now, as we consider that passage and also many others, we find that as our refuge, first of all, God protects his people from physical harm. In the Psalms, this is actually the most common way that God is said to be a refuge or a shelter. And in fact, Psalm 91 that I just read, alone we see the Lord protects those who abide in him from pestilence, terror, destruction, plagues, accidents, and wild animals. In other words, all kinds of danger. Now, there's many biblical examples of this, but especially from King David's life, how God saved him from dangerous wild animals, from later the jealous hands of King Saul or the attacks of the Philistines or the the violent schemes of his rebellious son, Absalom. This is not to say that God's people never experience physical harm, right? These Psalms are not saying that, no. At times, God allows harm to come our way, and we'll address that later. But even then, he protects us from so much more. In fact, I have no doubt that when we get to glory and we we can see the big picture, we will be amazed at the countless times God protected us and and we didn't even know it. You know how often we, we grumble when harmed, you know, God, how could you let this happen when actually we should be grateful for how many times it hasn't happened? How often he has been our shelter, how often he has protected us from danger and we didn't even know it. Like David who expressed his wholehearted confidence to God in so many Psalms and maybe most famously in Psalm 62. Psalm 62, verses 5 to 8, where he says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. But God also is a refuge in the sense that he protects his people from spiritual harm. Throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we read about a spiritual enemy who uses every spiritual weapon at his disposal to attack God's people, assaulting our faith in God and our confidence in his words through lies and deceit. But we also see in scripture that God delivers us from evil, just as Jesus called us to pray. And just as Jesus experienced for himself. Remember how Satan tempted Jesus at the start of his earthly ministry for 40 days in the wilderness. And how Jesus stood firm under assault. Using God's word, the sword of the spirit, to defend himself. As the Holy Spirit was working through him and later he was ministered to by angels. God protected him spiritually. The father did that work in his life. Or 
Or think about how God protected Daniel and his friends and really later the whole nation of Israel from Satan's schemes by sending angels to protect them and do spiritual battle in the heavenly places. Well, it's the same protection that we are promised too. Especially in the New Testament where the emphasis is less on physical protection and more on spiritual protection. Now, encouraging it is to know Like we see in Daniel 10, that there is this spiritual battle happening, even though we don't see it invisibly in the heavens. That God's angels are protecting us from spiritual harm. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And so because of that, we will not fear. We will not fear first because God is our shelter. But then second, we will not fear because God is our strength. The psalmist goes on in chapter 40, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. Now, as I mentioned earlier, there are times when God does allow us, he allows his people to suffer harm. He doesn't determine that harm or do that harm because he is absolutely holy and good. But God does allow bad things to happen to his people at the hands of sinful men. And just as a consequence of living in a a fallen world filled with disaster and disease and danger and death. Now we see this truth most notably in the book of Job. Where God allowed Satan to directly harm Job in various ways to see if he could cause Job to curse God. And of course he didn't. But instead, God used Satan's evil plans in order to accomplish his good purposes in Job. And specifically to refine Job's faith. So that at the end, Job could say, I once had heard of you, now I have seen you myself. I've experienced you personally. And God does this for all of his people when we joyfully trust in him and yield to him even when things are hard. As James says in James 1, 2-4, Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's what God is doing when he allows us to experience trials and tribulations. Now, in the midst of those transforming troubles, God doesn't leave us to ourselves. No, he stands with us and he gives us the physical and spiritual power we need to persevere. Have you ever been at your your wit's end and then suddenly, at just the right moment, God renewed your strength? Right? You're you're facing all sorts of trouble. You're exhausted. You You have nothing left in the tank. You're just about to give up. And at just the right time, you receive the power to push on. Well, that's what the psalmist is getting at here when he writes that God is our strength. He means that God enables us to face our trials faithfully so that we can come out stronger in the end, experiencing God's sustaining presence and power like we never had before. Which again is something David experienced. And he talks about in in Psalm 28. Uh, Psalm 28, verses 6 to 9 Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. 
The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Of course, when we think back to David's life, we see that so clearly. But we also see that in Paul's life, the apostle, when he experienced extreme troubles in his life and ministry, imprisonments, beatings, shipwrecks, hunger, thirst, exposure, to name a few. And then there's that famous thorn in the flesh that kept him weak and humble, which was either a, a physical ailment, a psychological str- struggle, or maybe a demonic opponent. We're not sure. And yet Paul, nevertheless, through this, persevered. But not because he had some super special strength of his own. No, it was because of the infinite strength that God poured out in his weakness. Which he testifies to in 2 Corinthians 12.9. After talking about that thorn in the flesh, he says, But God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What a statement. What a statement. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Do we believe that? And maybe more importantly, do we behave like it's true? Listen, it's not when we've got it all together and everything is going smooth that God powerfully works in our lives. No. It's when we're at the end of ourselves humbly recognizing our utter weakness and powerlessness, depending on God's strength completely because we have no strength left, that he empowers us to go on and to grow up into him. You know, when another believer is faithfully going through a very difficult time, I often hear other believers say things like, I could never handle that. I'm not strong enough. To which I respond, you're absolutely right. You are not strong enough. But God is. He is strong enough. He will get you through. What you can't do, he can do in you. And for that reason, whatever troubles we face, however weak and helpless we become, we will not fear. Because God is our strength. But then thirdly, We will not fear because God is our support. Psalmist says he's a very present help in trouble. Or as the Christian Standard Bible puts it, a helper who is always to be found. Now the word help in this verse, it generally means support or assistance, but more specifically describes someone who provides what another person lacks. Well, that certainly describes our relationship with God perfectly, doesn't it? We are utterly dependent on him for everything, for life and breath and everything else. Which becomes all the more apparent when we are in trouble. And I'm sure we've all felt that before. Again, this is something that we see throughout the Psalms, maybe most famously in Psalm 121. Psalm 121, where the psalmist declares this. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? Right? I have nothing. No one to help. Nothing I can do. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. 
He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. God is our help in that way. And yet there's more to it than just that because notice in in, in verse 1 of Psalm 46, it says, God is a very present help in trouble. In other words, he's always right there when we need him. He's an ever-present help, as the NIV translates it. He's, he's never far off, but he's with us at every moment of every day, and especially when we are facing trouble. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Hebrews 12, 5 to 6. That's such a good word, such a good reminder. You know, sometimes we can pray to God as if he were far away. And we're calling for him to come, help, help us. Right? As soon as you can. Help, help God. I'm in trouble. I need you. Please hurry. I need your help. As soon as you can get here. As soon as possible. But obviously we should not pray like that. No. We should pray to God as a father who's always right here. Right with us. Ready to help. Ready to support us when we need him. Which again was David's experience and all the troubles he faced. We see this in the well-known Psalm 139. 139, particularly verse 7 to 10. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me up. Isn't that a wonderful image? God, our Father, no matter where we are, he's right there to lead us and with his right hand to hold us up. Now, when I think about God's ever-present help, I think of Joseph. You know, was sold into slavery by his brothers. And yet, throughout the story, we read that God was with him. Especially in Genesis 39, when he was wrongly imprisoned. Right? Though Joseph's whole world had been shattered, falling apart, things were just getting worse and worse, he was able to have peace. He was able to persevere because God was a very present help in trouble. He remained near and faithful to the Lord because the Lord was near and faithful to him. Genesis 39, 20 to 21, we read, And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor. Now that's a good example of the kind of trouble the psalmist is speaking of here. The word literally means being in a tight spot with no room to move and no way out. Okay, and so what he's talking about here when he says trouble is he's talking about big, scary, I don't know what is going to happen moments. Like being taken from your home. 
sold into slavery and wrongly imprisoned as Joseph was. That sort of thing. Hopeless, helpless situations. We're told that even then, and especially then, God comes to our aid. He supports us. He walks with us. He helps us so that we don't have to give in and give up to fear, but rather we can carry on in faith. Remember when the the nation of Israel We're finally about to enter the promised land after their years of wandering in the wilderness. There were so many unknowns. There were so many dangers. So many things could go wrong. So many things that would later go wrong. But God through Moses encouraged them from the start. In Deuteronomy 31.6, he said, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. What an encouraging word from God to his people, much like this morning's text, which can make all of the difference when we are living with many scary unknowns, when troubles are heaped upon us, just as it made all the difference for God's people throughout scripture and throughout church history in the troubling times they faced. Protestant reformer Martin Luther was hated and persecuted by church authorities for challenging their traditional beliefs and behavior that did not accord with scripture. But on top of that, he also suffered from illness like persistent indigestion, constipation, dizzy spells, kidney stones, ringing in his ears, dysentery, congestive heart failure, and chronic pain. And he tragically lost two of his six children, his little girl Magdalene dying in his own arms, as well as losing many friends and many people in his church through the dreaded Black Plague that entered Germany. And on top of all that, he also experienced great spiritual opposition, once stating that Satan would gladly kill me if he could. Always he's pressing me, always treading on my heels. What trouble, what tribulation, what weight of pressure, what difficulties. And yet, Luther remained steadfast in the faith instead of surrendering to fear. And he did so precisely because of this morning's text, which was the inspiration for his famous hymn that has since comforted millions in their times of trouble including us, as we've sung these words before. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our shelter he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. And then later on in another verse, he says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. We will not fear. And yet, let's be honest, we often do. Nonetheless, don't we? We struggle with being anxious and afraid of viruses and vaccines, guns and government, crime and climate change, so much more. When we take time to consider, especially now, what's going on in our world, all the turmoil, all the trouble. We can, we can quickly go from, from just being concerned and careful to being consumed and controlled by our circumstances. You know, we can be living in faith one moment and then living in fear 
the next. So what do we do? How do we change that? How do we live by faith rather than fear? Well, the answer is given right at the end of the psalm in verse 10. Where the psalmist says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So here's how how people, God's people, can, can strengthen our faith and subdue our fear. Stop what you're doing. Slow down the the inner turmoil with a a few big breaths. Shut off all of the fear makers. In other words, your TV, your phone, social media. Silence the, the anxious commentary in your mind. And just be still and know that the Lord is God. Meditate on the the peace-producing promise that God is our shelter, our strength, and our support until your fears have been pushed out of your soul with renewed faith in your great Savior. And then repeat as needed. Or sometimes it's necessary maybe to, to take a week or a month intentionally turning off all of those fear makers and tuning in to the peacemaker, to still your soul. Because listen, Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Church, God wants us to be free from our fear so that we can follow him faithfully with a peace and a joy in every circumstance that adorns the gospel in this world. With lives that powerfully profess, God is faithful. And so we will not fear. Let's pray for the grace to live like that. Lord God, we're thankful for this reminder today in your word. It's very much needed. We confess, Lord, that many of us have had many moments, particularly this past year, where we have been overcome with fear. Some of us might be living in perpetual fear, and we know it, and we don't want to live in fear anymore. Some of us might be living in perpetual fear and don't even recognize it. Well, Lord, wherever we are at today, I pray that as we've considered this psalm, we've considered how you are our shelter and strength and support and how you are sovereign over all, we would trust in you, find you to be our rock and refuge, and therefore, whatever circumstances we face, we can be still and know that you are God and we can find that fear fading away and find faith forming in us anew so that we can live faithfully for you above the great concerns of our world. Aware of what's going on, yes. Careful, yes. Doing what we can about what we can, but ultimately trusting in you 
trusting in your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.